0: Thanks to Harry's for supporting this episode of Market Foolery. Get your free trial set, including a razor handle, five-blade cartridge, and shave gel. Just go to harrys.com/fool. It's Wednesday, June twenty-eighth. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio today from Motley Fool Funds, Brian Hinman. Thanks for being
1: here. It is great to be here. This is an intimate setting, Chris. It is <laughs> just you and me. The fire crackling. That'd be nice, wouldn't it, if we actually had a fireplace
0: in here? And like, in terms of ambient noise, not now. It's the middle of summer, but uh, you know, in the winter, let's be honest. You, you, and I have both been in this studio <laughs> on days when you walk in the studio and are
1: like, "Wow, it's cold in here." Agreed. And if we're gonna, if if this is the forum for saying what we'd like, I would like a reclining chair uh, and a glass of scotch. Can we make this happen? <laughs> Here's how the markets are doing. Uh,
0: you know, series interrupting there. Uh, it, we can make the glass of scotch work. <laughs> That's easy. Reclining chairs. I think then we get into a whole thing with the microphones. And, ah, I see. You know what? We're, we 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 haven't. I mean, normally, li- longtime listeners expect this type of derailment early in the podcast from Bill Barker, <laughs> not from you. You're picking up bad habits from your colleague. It happens at Molly Full Funds. Um, let's talk portfolio management and and. I was thinking about this coming into the studio today. I think this is a question that we've gotten at the Motley Fool, I would say more so than any other question in the last 5 years as we've grown as a company, as we have more members in our services, the question around portfolio management is one that we just get more and more. And so I thought this would be a good Strategy Week is a good time to sort of um, set aside the news and just focus on portfolio management Uh, first and foremost because this is your job at Motley Fool Funds. (laughs) um, So to the extent that you can, you can talk about it both in terms of your work and on a personal level. uh, What is portfolio management? How should we be thinking about it as individuals? Because there are depending on who you talk to, you can get a lot of different answers.
1: Yeah. Well. To me, portfolio management, and we're just talking about the equity portion of your portfolio because uh, that's traditionally what we do here is we talk about the stock side of things, so we'll we'll stay true to that. But really, it's, it's the science and art of managing your stock portfolio to achieve an intended result. And so, there's two pieces of that that we should unpack a little bit, which might lead to a little less satisfaction here. First is, it's science and art. There's no right answer because we don't know uh, what the market is going to do. Uh, If the market, if we knew what the market was going to do, the answer would be you just buy the one stock that goes up the most and you win. Um, The other part of it that I want to unpack is we're trying to achieve an intended result here, and the intended result differs based on who you are. And to make it easier, we sort of broadly say, "Hey, what we're trying to do here is beat the market." But that might not be the right uh, recipe for you individually. So, um, so there are no right answers, and your mileage is going to vary based on what your intended result is.
0: So, for someone who is either just starting out in investing, or they are at a point in their life where maybe they've got a few disparate types of investments they've got a 401k plan maybe they left a job and they've they've got some money they could roll over yeah they have a few stocks here and there that sort of thing so whether they're uh, whether it's a young person just starting out or someone who is just starting out in terms of I need a fresh start in terms of the stocks in my life where should one begin?
1: Yeah uh, the place to start is to have a philosophy. Um, you need a North star that informs, how you're going to pull together all of these different investments you have to make sense of them uh, so that you can make sure you're marching forward toward that in- intended result. Um, so, what do I mean when I say you need to have a philosophy? Or, well, really, figure out, answer the questions what are you trying to achieve and how will you achieve it? Um, at Motley Fool Asset Management, we answer that question by saying independent research conducted with a long term market. Or a long-term mindset will outperform, and so the three pieces there that we have are independent research. So everything that we do is going to be guided by our ability to do our own research um, on the companies that we're interested in. We do so with a long-term mindset, which means that we're entering into positions uh, with the idea that we want to own them for a long time, and then outperformance. Our job is to perform better than uh, better than our benchmarks, but that may not be the right philosophy for you. For instance, David Gardner says, Make your portfolio reflect the best vision of our future. And so he is going to focus on the types of stocks and businesses uh, that will craft our future. Tom Gardner says that culture is number one. That's where it starts with him. And so he's going to amass a portfolio of investments that uh, are led first by strong cultures. And so having that sort of north star is what gives you a center line to make all future decisions about how you're going to manage your portfolio.
0: Well, and as you said, there there is no right answer, and so in that case it's what works for you. That's that's exactly because it. Because it's great to find people in your life. If you're interested in investing and in particular in stocks, it's great to find people in your life. That you can talk to about that, and I think that's why people join investment clubs. That's certainly the enthusiasm we see at Motley Fool events, at Fool, at Fool Fest, and and that sort of thing. But what invariably, when you talk about sort of your approach, you're going to end up in a conversation with someone who says, "No, no, 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 no. You, you know, well, that here's the approach you want to try." And sometimes you end up in conversations where someone's essentially trying to convince you. But it's like that's where you do need to tra- stay true to yourself.
1: Absolutely. I mean, the simplest. Plan that you stick to is far better than the perfect plan that you can't stick to. And you're more likely to stick to what you truly believe in if you've outlined that philosophy. Uh, it's just easier to make those decisions that way.
0: How many stocks?
1: <laughs> uh, that is a great question. And given that
0: it's also personal.
1: Yes, it, it, it totally is. Um, but I think this is really about balancing uh, two things it's about balancing diversification and it's about balancing the impact to your portfolio and so I'm going to lean on some academic research here to answer this question um, so there there are broadly speaking there are sort of two types of risks you, you take on when you're investing in stocks one is market risk and you can't get away from market risk if you invest in stocks um, you can't diversify that away, it's going to be there. That's just the natural ebb and flow of investing in markets with different participants based on uh, how the you know economy is going to do supply and demand, that sort of thing. You can't get rid of it. We take that on by investing in stocks. The other type of risk is business-specific risk. And by holding more than one stock, you can uh, diversify away that business-specific risk. And so, the academic research shows that if you invest in eight stocks, you can diversify 81% of that risk away. But, as you add additional stocks, the the impact you get, the diversification benefit you get, declines. So, if you double that and, say, you invest in 16 stocks, then your diversified risk is reduced by 93%. If you double that and get to 32 stocks, you've reduced 96%. So, you've doubled the number of stocks you hold, but you've only, incre- uh, you've only decreased your risk by three percentage points. If you own 500 stocks, if you own the entire S&P 500, you've diversified away basically all business-specific risk, and you're only left with market risk. So, uh, the right answer there, how many stocks, is, okay, enough to diversify away a meaningful amount of risk, but not so much that you're adding stocks and not getting any diversification benefit. Now, the other side here is balancing the impact on your portfolio. Um, if you own five hundred stocks, that five hundred and first stock is probably not going to impact your returns at all. Uh, so some academic studies have been done that show um, active mutual fund managers um, can and and do outperform uh, outperform their their benchmarks in their best ideas. Their best ideas outperform generally one to two and a half percentage points per quarter. The problem is If they have too many stocks, those stocks that they're just adding at the end detract from performance. And so there's some studies done that show your top 20 ideas outperform, but from 21 on, generally are underperformers. And so the academic research says somewhere around 20 on the return side, somewhere around. Thirty to forty on the risk side gets you in a pretty sweet spot.
0: Do you ever think about portfolio allocation in terms of industries? Do you ever look at uh, whether it's your personal portfolio or just sort of what you're doing at Motley Fool Funds and think, you know what, I'm I'm taking the the uh, the ten thousand foot view of this portfolio, and boy, we we are light on insert name of
1: industry. Yeah. Uh, so that is definitely a, a common way to view. Um, to view risk and to view diversification. My personal belief here is that this is starting to matter less and less. And the reason that I say that is, um, that argument is based off of the co-movement of stocks. So, maybe consumer staples will zig when technology zags. Um, And so, you can balance out the volatility of your portfolio by owning across those two sectors. What I am finding is that, Over time, correlations, uh, covariance in stocks are increasing. And I think it has a lot to do with the role that technology is playing, disrupting almost every industry that there is. And technology is now becoming um, a part of every industry. And so there just seems to be, in my opinion, a convergence. And so that seems to be losing a little bit of its effectiveness as a diversifier.
0: To go back to. The idea of building a portfolio, whether you're just starting out or you're essentially rearranging your existing portfolio, what is your feeling on allocation per stock? Um, You know, I've you've probably heard this story as well. I've heard this story from David Gardner before, where he talks about. his father was an investment in an investment club, and uh, David joined it. And there was a gentleman in the club who, uh, and they had a, uh, a, basically a portfolio that they managed as a club. And there was a gentleman in the club who was a stickler for. Um, the size of any one holding, and I want to say it was maybe 10%, um, but it was essentially anytime one of their holdings, when they got together, was over 10%, he would just sort of raise his hand and be like, look, we got to sell this thing. So, he was was very much um, of a different mindset from David, who likes to let his winners run.
1: Yeah, there's certainly something to be said for discipline. But again, I think Common sense is going to rule is going to rule the day here. So uh, let's say that you've uh, you've come down on the sort of weighing the diversification versus impact uh, uh, combination, and you say I want 25 stocks. I think that's the ri- about the right number for me. Well, by definition, then your average holding is going to be about 4%, right? So that's a great starting point. I think the next thing that you should do is put some governors on there, and you should like this guy say, okay, what's the maximum? allocation that I'm comfortable with personally. And that's really just the sleep test, right? It's 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 if some it, what what level is going to keep you lying in bed awake at night? Yes. That's too high, right? So let's say that's 10%, right? So you've got 4% is probably my average. Then 10% makes me uncomfortable. Now the bottom governor is probably okay, when, at what point is it not worth my effort to follow this? Or is it not worth the transaction costs involved of starting such a small position? And maybe that's 1.5% or 2%. You've got a nice, then, rubric for where all of your holdings are going to fit in. The the next piece that I would layer on top of that is just a little bit of humble pie, right? Because uh, you may be willing to invest 10% in something and you may be comfortable with that, but you also need to uh, accept the truth that you might be wrong, right? Right. (laughs) And so, what we do at Motley Fool Asset Management is, we just think in terms of a ratio. And the ratio is, okay, What's what do I think the potential return is for this investment over what do I think the range of potential outcomes is? And so, if I think I've got a big winner, but it could also be a zero, it has a really wide uh, range of, of possible outcomes. That's probably going to be a smaller position size because the denominator of that of that ratio is uh, is higher. So that that just keeps us sort of from getting overconfident in any one idea. Uh,
0: this uh, what you're talking about was brought home to me uh, at at some point last year. We uh, Jason Moser and Dan Boyd and I took the train up to New York. We went to a Shake Shack. We we taped an episode of Market Foolery at a Shake Shack. And when we got back. I went and talked with our friend and colleague Jeff Fisher, who has shorted Shake Shack. Yep. And I just sort of laid out for him, you know, with the caveat that Jeff is much smarter about this (laughs) stuff than I am, and he has done more research in the company. But I basically just talked about like the experience in Shake Shack, and I I, and Jeff, with you know, with a very patient smile on his face, listened to my whole thing, and I was basically saying, I don't know. You know, in terms of the short of this stock, I mean, how how short a lease do you have this? Blah blah blah. And he let me get all the way through, and he said, he said, "Yeah, no, I I understand all that. Um, One thing you need to realize is this represents one half of one percent of the overall portfolio." And I just, (laughs) just you know, you could have just stopped me and told me that because that's because that's the thing. I mean, if you know, if if you are in this case, you know, short, and I've never shorted a stock, but if if you are looking at a stock and you and it has a big risk factor associated with it but you're only putting in a tiny amount of money then it's kind of like you know I'm not I'm not going to lose sleep over it there you go all right before we keep going I've got to say thanks to Harry's for supporting today's episode of Market Foolery I love Harry's products I've been a customer of Harry's for years it is quite simply the smoothest shave I have ever had period and Harry's is so confident that you're going to love their blades, they're giving you their trial set for free. You just cover the $3 shipping. Stop messing around with whatever you're shaving with right now. You've got one face. Treat it right. Get started shaving with a free trial set that includes a razor handle, a five-blade cartridge, and shave gel. That's a $13 value for free. You just cover the shipping. So go to harrys.com. That's harrys.com fool, All right, before we get to a couple of stock ideas, um, in terms of managing a portfolio on an ongoing basis, I, I, I'm someone who ha- shares the temperament of uh, Charlie Munger in that uh, I like to buy, and I'm quoting Munger, I like to buy great companies and then sit on my ass. I, 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 I'm not looking to actively manage my portfolio. Um, is this another thing that Obviously, it's a personal decision for for whatever someone's interest level is, and frankly, the amount of time that they have to dedicate to this. But even if you're someone like me, who's like, I don't want to do a lot of work on this, should, (laughs) should you also be setting up a monthly reminder, a weekly reminder, quarterly, whatever, should you set up guidelines for yourself to say, Whatever your laziness factor, you you do have to stay
1: on top of this. It all goes back to the philosophy you laid out. If you have set out that you uh, are a deep value investor, and what you do is you buy um, significantly underpriced securities, um, paying n- no attention to whether or not they're good or bad businesses, you need to have the discipline to sell as your as price approaches what you think that the fair value of that. Security is. If, on the other hand, you are a Chris Hill, Charlie Munger investor, and your chosen strategy is to spend the time up front to search for really high quality stuff so that you can sit on your ass, well, then the decision is made for you, right? As long as you have identified, in fact, something that is a quality asset, you can be hands off. And so I think that the takeaway here when it comes to adding to positions, trimming to positions, or, or outright selling is, is really about not getting too cute. Because every time you do take an action in your portfolio to add, trim, or sell, uh, you incur uh, certain uh, negative returns. Uh, And I mean by certain, I mean there is certainty that you are are generating negative returns. And that comes from uh, the taxes of something that you've gained, uh, something you have an embedded gain in, transaction costs from executing the transaction, and then bid ask spreads, which is uh, sort of the market's cut that that gets taken out of there. And so what you need to make sure you're thinking about is that uh, whatever the alternatives you are reinvesting that money into uh, are demonstrably better. When you take into account those those one hundred percent certain costs of what you're doing, and so I think that's often what investors forget is uh, they get caught up in sort of what's new and exciting, uh, and don't pay enough attention to uh, the actual detriments that are going to be caused by making that change.
0: All right, before we wrap up. Two stock ideas, and let's go with one that is more on the stable side because I think a lot of people think that way in terms of I've got uh, a riskier part of my portfolio, I've got a more stable part. So one stable and one that is a little bit uh, riskier with maybe more growth potential.
1: Uh, definitely. Uh, okay, so let's we'll we'll start with uh, we'll start with stable. Question for you first, Chris. How many times have you violated the data? Uh, usage policy on your cell phone plan over the past year.
0: Over the past year? Yeah. Almost every month.
1: Almost every month. Yep. I think that's a pretty common occurrence <laughs> and uh, is why uh, cell phone companies are starting to compete on unlimited plans and that sort of thing because we as consumers are uh, using an in- immense amount of data and it is growing leaps and bounds every year. So, my stock for you for the stable camp is called Crown Castle International. Or, excuse me, Crown Castle Incorporated. Uh, Crown Castle, ticker symbol uh, CCI, is a $37 billion company that basically operates the plumbing that enables um, our massive data consumption in the US. They own 40,000 cell phone towers and se- 16,000 or so miles of um, fiber underground to support small cell nodes that basically allow data to be transmitted um, for use in our cell phones. It's a great business because they sign long-term contracts with uh, the cell phone companies that have automatic inflation escalators, so their revenue goes up every year and they don't have to do anything. And they make more money the more data we use, basically. The company pays a 4% dividend that I think can grow 6% or so a year. Uh, incredibly stable business. I think it's a perfect one for that stable cohort.
0: Wow. I, yeah, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm just thinking again about how much data I use and my family uses. So, okay, Crown Castle uh, Incorporated. Uh, one uh, on maybe the, the growth side, higher risk, higher reward?
1: Absolutely. So, uh, I got a, a little medi- medical device company. It's about $11 billion um, business called ResMed. Ticker symbol RMD, and uh, they make uh, devices to treat sleep apnea. And so, sleep apnea is uh, an affliction forty-six million U.S. adults suffer from.
0: I got a couple family members who. uh,
1: There you go. But, But deal with that. But only 10 or 15% of those cases are diagnosed. Um, And so, the growth here comes from not necessarily more people getting sleep apnea, but that is also a growing number because of obesity, which tends to be one of the the largest causes. Um, But they will grow and sell more machines and masks and tubes. that you wear while you're sleeping to treat this and be able to sleep better, uh, but they will grow from greater um, diagnosis uh, as sort of sleep apnea as a problem just becomes more common and and more and more studies come out that show the importance of sleep. Um, so they are the leader in this space, um, but they're also uh, generating a lot of profits that they're reinvesting into treating um, COPD. Uh, which is another disease, uh, chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, um, that is a very similar sales process to what they're doing um, with sleep apnea. So, I think they're really well positioned there and they've got a long runway uh, for growth.
0: Alright. If you want to read more from Brian Hinman and his colleagues, you can go to fullfunds.com and sign up for declarations. It is the free monthly newsletter. Thank you so much. This was really helpful.
1: Great. Glad to be here.